Our first scripture reading today comes from 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord, in the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is, there is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance, for the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He praises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit the throne of honor. For the foundation of the earth are the Lord's. On them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The Most High will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his, of his anointed. The next reading comes from Revelation chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues, last because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glasses mixed with fire and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and over the number of his name. They held harps given, to, given them by God and sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So it was almost 100 years ago, 1914, by an act of Congress, uh, President Woodrow Wilson proclaimed the second Sunday of May as Mother's Day. Uh, he established it as a day of expression of our love and reverence for mothers. I had shared at the last uh, lunch bunch that one of my favorite poems, uh, poets is uh, Helen Steiner Rice. And she writes this of Mother's Day, a mother's love. A mother's love is something that no one can explain. It is made of deep devotion and of sacrifice and pain. It is endless and unselfish and enduring come what may, for nothing can destroy it, 
or take that love away. It is patient and forgiving when all others are forsaking, and it never fails or falters, even though the heart is breaking. It believes beyond believing when the world around condemns, and it glows with all the beauty of the rarest, brightest gems. It is far beyond defining, it defies all explanation, and it still remains a secret, like the mysteries of creation. A many-splendored miracle man cannot understand, and another wondrous evidence of God's tender guiding hand. One of my favorite Mother's Day quotes is, Life doesn't come with a manual. It comes with a mother. You see, we all have a mother, and I'm sure those relationships are as varied as the number of us gathered here. But it's something that we all have in common, and I think we can use that to support and to encourage one another. Uh, even, even in times when those types of relationships might get strained, um, as, I, as I meet with people uh, in, in mediation and counseling and that, I mean, uh, somebody come up and tie my hands down one of these Sundays, would you? <laughs> um, uh, you know, one of the things that I find most effective is to, to, to figure out, to find and, and identify the things we have in common. And it's on those things that we have in common that, that we're often then to build from. I, I would like to think, you know, as the church, in all the differences within church and within denominations, that if, if we can focus on what we have in common, that, then that's the unity that Christ is looking for. Uh, in the midst of our differences. And, and, it, and it's okay to have differences. Um, but anyhow, so uh, our series this morning uh, on prayers from the Bible uh, looks at Hannah, the mother of Samuel. And we find her story in the book of 1 Samuel back in the Old Testament. Hannah's a, a very special woman. Uh, because she's one of those rare women that I think God holds up for us to, to see and, and, and to admire, to, to learn something from. As we're introduced to, to Hannah, we find that she has a, an issue, a problem. She's unable to have a child, unable to, to be a mother. And I, I want to put into context here a little bit about what was happening at that time. Uh, Israel, as a nation, was in crisis. Uh, in the book of Judges, in chapter 17, it tells us that in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did what they saw fit. Can you imagine? If we all did what we saw fit. And, and maybe in some ways we see that playing out again in our country and around the world. But everyone just felt like they could do what they felt like doing. And it was not a pretty sight back at that time. The, the whole nation was corrupt. And, and God needed to bring about a change. He needed to, 
to raise up someone who, who could lead his people to righteousness. Um, he, he needed someone who could step in and, and do what needed to be done. He needed someone who could be a judge, uh, at the same time be a prophet, uh, to be a priest. And in order to train up that kind of a leader for Israel, God was going to need a very special kind of mother as well. And that's where Hannah comes in. Hannah was one of two wives of Elkanah. Now, we've got to remember, in those days, it was legal to have more than one wife. Uh, Hannah could not bear children. And Peninnah, the other wife, uh, made fun of her, uh, hurt her feelings deeply. We, we kind of see a, a similar story come out with Sarah or Sarai with, with Abraham and, and, and her servant that, that Abraham had a child with, that, that kind of uh, jealousy and, and that comes out. And we read that every year Hannah would cry. Hannah would not eat because she wanted so badly to give birth to a child. So one day Hannah goes to the temple and she prays to God that if he would provide her a child, she would dedicate that child to the service of God. She started by praying out loud, but then we read in the scripture in 1 Samuel that her prayer became silent. In 1 Samuel 1.13, it says that she was speaking in her heart, and, and, and her lips were moving, but there, there was no sound coming out. And so Eli, the priest, he thought she was drunk. <laughs> what I see here, though, is, is Hannah's prayer was very real. It was from the heart. She was expressing her dependence on God. Yes, Hannah had some problems. But she didn't shut down. She didn't lash out at others. Instead, she expressed her faith in prayer. And she waited, which can be, we all know that can be a hard thing to do. She waited for God's answer. Folks, I think there's a lesson in that for us. Sometimes God uses our problems to, to get our attention, to tell us about his plan for us. And in this case, Hannah was going to be not only a, a real mother, but a godly mother to Samuel. She was the kind of woman that God could count on to, to work through, to, to train up this one that is needed to, to shape Israel. It, it, it's, it's a nation in turmoil. Anything goes. But first... God had to bring Hannah to the point that she was desperate enough to do what God needed done. And you know, God sometimes, I think, uses our pain to guide us. He wants us to do. C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis once said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. 
He speaks in our conscience. But he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. In her pain, Hannah comes to a decision. If God will give me a son, I'm going to give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And so, because Hannah turned to God, she experienced his provision. God provided. Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son, naming him Samuel. His name sounds like the Hebrew word for God hears prayers. God is listening. God listened to her prayer. And every time she would call on that name Samuel, it was like Hannah was being reminded that God provides. God answers prayer. And so Hannah kept her promise. She not only dedicated herself to God, but she dedicated her child to God. As the first chapter of 1 Samuel ends, Hannah is taking Samuel to the temple. And verse 28 says, Now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. So we see that that Hannah expressed in prayer her dependence on God. Hannah experienced God's provision. She kept her uh, promise and dedicated Samuel to the Lord. And then we come to our prayer this morning from 1 Samuel. It's it's as chapter 2 begins. After God has answered Hannah's prayer, this, this previous prayer, and she's dedicated Samuel to the Lord, Hannah praises God for his faithfulness. My heart rejoices in the Lord, and the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Wow, let's think about that for a minute. One of the most difficult experiences of a mother would be giving up a child. Here, Hannah has just dropped off her young son at the temple to be raised by Eli. And her prayer of despair at first, in in, in the first chapter of, of 1 Samuel, turns into this prayer of triumph in the second chapter. It's part prayer, part song, I think part prophecy. Maybe we could sum it up by saying that God is in control, therefore rejoice. Right? Adore God, praise Him, worship Him. Everything's going to be all right. Isn't that hard to see, though, sometimes when we're going through tough times? That God is in control. 
turn on the evening news, we look around, we, we pick up the, the, the newspapers, and it's like, really, God is in control and amidst all this? Yes, He is. What, whatever it is that we would find ourselves going through, we should, we should lift Him up and rejoice in Him. Because all things will work together for the good. It's not easy sometimes. I understand that. So, so God gives us this testimony of someone else who has gone through a difficult time, Hannah. And that's where Hannah's prayer comes in today. This prayer, this song is her testimony, not only of what God has done in her life, but how God operates in all of life. And so it should be an encouragement for us. Hannah begins by, by proclaiming that there's no one like God. Do you believe that this morning? There's no one like God. He's the bomb, right? <laughs> to, to use a, a modern phrase there. And, and, and Hannah says several things about this as we unravel her, her prayer there. First of all, she says, No one rescues like God. In the Lord, my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance, in your rescue. In the Bible, if you, if you study in the Old Testament, a, a horn is a symbol of strength. Hannah doesn't claim any strength of her own. She says, in the Lord, my horn is lifted high. My strength is lifted up. God's the one who gives us the strength when we're weak. God is the one who renews our strength when we're tired and we're all worn out. Hannah says, I rejoice, I delight in your deliverance, in your rescue. God rescued her. He turned Hannah's weakness into a strength. He helped her to overcome her enemies. He's, he's turned her sorrow into gladness. And, and he can do the same for us. Folks, that's what God does for those who trust him. Second, Hannah goes on to say that there is no one holy like God. That, that second verse of the second chapter there. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. When we say that God is holy, I think first we, we mean that of, of all, God is set apart. God is set apart from all creation. God is above all things. He's before all things. He is sovereign over all things. Even Satan, right? That, that's, that's in the scriptures. The devil can't do what God doesn't allow Satan to do. But God's holiness also refers to his righteousness. His purity. God is perfectly holy. 
God is just. And that's important to know when we're talking about God being in control. Indeed, God is sovereign. He is in control of all. And and if God was an unholy, unrighteous, unjust God, if someone like that was in control of the universe, would you find that very comforting? But God is holy. We cannot compare God to anything else. There is no one holy like God. We worship him, we adore him, we praise him. We get a glimpse of that in heaven from the book of Revelation. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, who will not revere the Lord and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Can you picture, can you imagine the worship that is going on in heaven right now? It's what should be going on here on earth as well. For you alone, Lord, are holy. We'll lift up, we'll glorify your name. And then Hannah proclaims that in her prayer that no one protects like God. There's no rock, she says, like God. And again, as you read and study the Old Testament, a rock is seen as a place of safety, a place of refuge. David in the Psalms talks about a rock. And I think, you know, today we find that folks are looking all over the place for those things that they can cling to and find refuge and safety and reassurance. And as sure as I'm standing here today, any of those things will let you down. But God won't. He is holy. He is just. He is. He is God. And no matter what kind of trials that we find ourselves going through, when God is your rock, when he's that place of safety, that place of refuge for you, then you're going to be protected. Everything's going to work out. Do you trust him? Then we come to this part of Hannah's prayer that, we, that we've seen before in some of these prayers that we've been looking at from the Old Testament. She goes before God in all humbleness, all humility, and she exalts him. She lifts him up. She raises him up, puts him first. Because that's what God does. God humbles and he exalts Now, that can be a little bit unsettling to think about that everything could just change in a moment. Like that. But Hannah says it's God who humbles and it's God who exalts. 
we hear that message from Jesus in the New Testament, right? That, that uh, those are strong or weak and, and so forth, right? Well, in, in here in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, this is where this message comes out from Hannah. The Lord brings death and makes it alive. He brings down to the grave, but yet he lifts up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and he has them inherit a throne of honor. God's the giver, the taker of life. God's the one who who sends poverty and wealth. He's the one who humbles and exalts. In other words, we've said it, God is sovereign. God is in control. No matter what our circumstances, we can rejoice in that. And then as Hannah puts it in these final verses here of her prayer, God rules over everything. He will establish his people, she says. He will shatter his enemies. He will give strength to his king. Does it seem to you that that Hannah's kind of a prophet here in these verses? Could she be talking about Jesus? Could she be talking about the church age? The picture that she paints here of God picking up the whole world and setting it on its foundations. Maybe a poetic way of saying that God both created and he sustains the universe. He is in control. And if God does that, he can surely take care of his people. Surely he can take care of us. That's the whole point here. The God who established the earth, that set the world upon its foundations, he's going to guard our feet, he's going to guard our way, the way of his people, those who trust him, believe in him, who turn to him. When we become a part of God's people, we put our faith and we put our trust in Jesus. In Titus, in the New Testament, chapter 2, verse 4, It says that Jesus gave himself up for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. If you trust in Jesus, you are his own. You're a child of God. That's worthy of praise and worship and adoration and thankfulness, joy, God redeemed and rescued us when he sent Jesus into our lives. And what God did for Hannah is just a small picture of what God is doing in the whole world. We just got to open our eyes and see it. No one can stand in God's way. No one can thwart, change, stop God's plans. He's sovereign. He's in control. He rules over everything. And and he's going to judge the ends of the earth. God will establish his people. He will shatter his enemies. 
you know, this, this is a battle story that is just so cool because we know the ending. We don't have to wonder what's going to happen. God's going to win and be victorious. Remember that at this time, when Hannah lifted up this prayer, there was no king in Israel. Israel was a nation that was still being ruled by judges back at that time, but God had planned for Samuel to be born at this very time so that he could lead Israel in this process of anointing a king. If you continue to, to read there in Samuel, as the story unfolds, it's, you know, we, we get to the line of David. And then there's a whole line of kings that follow him. And, and this is where I think, you know, that part of what Hannah's praying here, I mean, th this is prophecy, right? It, it's, it's prophetic of, of Jesus, the king of kings, coming one day. The word Messiah means anointed. And it comes from the very word that is used here in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 10, to describe a, uh, a king instead of a priest. Over time, Israel would come to understand that God was going to send a Messiah, the anointed one, the king from David's line that is going to reign forever. And we know that that's true. When, when, when Jesus died, he did not stay in the grave. He defeated death. He was raised from the dead. He was exalted to the right hand of God. And he's in heaven today. He's ruling, amen? God accomplishes his purposes through prayer doesn't have to, but he chooses to. He chooses to work in and through our prayers. It, it's important, extremely important as a Christian, as one who would trust in God to pray, to lift him up in adoration and in praise. We, we've been having prayer time down at Kilbuck on, on Wednesday evenings, and one of the things that really touches me about that is, you know, I mean, we'll break off in a chorus and, and, you know, praise God as part of that. We'll read some scripture passages and it just, it, it adds that whole atmosphere of adoration and praise and understanding who God is, lifting him up. Does it mean that God's always going to answer our prayers exactly the way that we would like them to be answered? Uh-uh. But he is answering the prayers. I see it. I feel it. And, and it means even something better. It means that when you pray, you're participating with God to fulfill his purpose in our lives. His purpose in the world. God is in control. Therefore, rejoice. No matter what circumstance you find yourself in. You can say right along with Hannah, my heart rejoices in God. I want to bring this to a close with an excerpt from Chicken Soup for the Christian Soul. A mother in California wrote that 
her three-year-old son was making it hard for her. I'm not touching anything. <laughs> okay, a, a mother in California wrote that her three-year-old son was making it hard for her to do her housework. Okay, no. Okay, so first of all, is like anybody been in that situation? It just it seemed that as she was trying to wash the dishes or sweep the floor or do whatever, he, he was right behind her wherever she went. And whenever she stopped to turn to do something, right there he'd be and she'd trip over him. And, and several times she patiently suggests, you know, some fun activities for him. Wouldn't you like to go outside and play on the swing? He simply smiled and, oh, no, that's okay, Mommy. I'd just rather be here with you. And he would continue to bounce happily around behind her as she was trying to do her chores. And finally, this devotion, it says, after stepping on his toes for the fifth time, (laughs) she begins to, to lose her patience a little bit and insists that he goes outside and plays with the other children. She asked him why he was acting this way. He looks up at her with his eyes, and he says, Well, Mommy, my Sunday school teacher told me to walk in Jesus' footsteps. And since I can't see him, I'm walking in yours. The prayers of a godly mother can mean so much. A grandmother, an aunt, a daughter, a son. We all find ourselves in in those roles. Thank you for all that you have given us, for all that you mean to us. Lord, our our presence here this morning is just a a smidgen of what we can return to you. So Lord, bless our time, bless our resources, that we might be a blessing to you each and every day and every moment of our lives. And as you bless it, Lord, we, we know that that'll be multiplied and continue to grow your kingdom. We thank you for your blessings. Amen. And now may the love of God be the passion that drives your heart. The joy of God be your strength when times do get hard. May the presence of God bring a a peace that overflows. And the word of God be the seed that you might sow. Amen.